The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Morning, everyone. So, uh, I think as it's already been kind of highlighted, it's a <coughs> really special Sunday. This is our baptism service, and we'll be baptizing four of our members today, and so it's going to be a really awesome celebration. I'm sure they're very nervous about it. It's kind of like um, taking a bath in front of your whole church, you know. It's a, <laughs> kind of that, that awkwardness, you know, uh, and it's, it's a little awkward for me, too. It's, I think one of the things that stands out is there was one year that we used the church where the heater broke in the baptistry, and so the water was frigid. And I had to stay there for like seven, eight baptisms, <laughs> testimonies. And by the end of it, I couldn't feel my toes anymore. And I thought I was going hypothermic. And so to avoid letting something like that happen again, we've, it's awesome. We've got our own baptistry now. And so we're able to do our own baptisms as part of our regular service. And so we're going to be doing that in just a few minutes here. But before we do, we want to look at the Word and take a look at uh, what the Bible has to say about baptism and take a... Uh, um, uh, a, a look at Romans chapter 6 verses 1 to 14 and so if you have your Bibles with you we'd invite you to turn there or you could also see the uh, verses up on the slide up on the screen Romans chapter 6 verse 1 to 14 and it says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. God, what a joy it is to celebrate this day, the testimony of these brothers and sisters who will stand before us and be baptized this day as a public declaration of their allegiance to you. And so we 
pray that as we join with them in this celebration, our hearts might be lifted up to the truths that these baptisms will represent of what you have done in our lives because of your great grace toward us. For we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Paul begins his teaching in Romans 6 with this interesting question. If God's grace is always there for us when we sin, shouldn't we just keep on sinning so that grace might increase? Um, This is actually an attack that Paul experienced during his ministry of people who use this logic to say that the way you've presented the gospel makes no sense. How does this glorify God? Romans chapter 3, verse 8 says, And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying? I think Eugene Peterson's translation of the message captures the spirit of Paul's sentiment uh, really well when he says, Some people are actually trying to put such words in our mouths, claiming that we go around saying, The more evil we do, the more good God does. So let's just do it. Or put another way, if God's grace is freely available whenever we sin, what's to prevent us from abusing that grace and sinning as much as we want? It's, it's as if the people who are attacking Paul or are attacking the gospel are saying, your system has a flaw in it. It doesn't actually prevent sin. Because if you don't have this fear that you hold over people's heads of the punishment that could come, and if it's all about grace, that even when you sin, the mercy of God is always available, that's a horribly easy system to abuse. And the people will abuse it. They're going to take wholehearted advantage of this teaching if they know that no matter what they do, all they have to do is ask God's forgiveness. And he forgives them. Isn't this just giving everyone like a free hall pass, right? A ticket to sin like crazy, knowing that God will forgive them. Well, he says in Romans 6 verse 2, by no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? In other words, Paul says, for you to even make that argument shows that you don't really understand the gospel. Because what Paul says is, if Christianity is nothing more than God forgiving and forgiving and pardoning, and that's the sum of the gospel, then yes, I guess you have an argument there. People can keep abusing this grace, and frankly, this seems like a wide open door that God is opening to us to live a crazy and wild life of sin. But Paul says, that's not the sum of Christianity. That's not the entire message of salvation. It's interesting that Paul, in making a counter-argument to this logic, uses baptism as a way of illustrating the Christian life. And so in verses 3 to 4, verse 6, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So Paul says, listen, 
Go back to that day when you were baptized and think about what happened when you were baptized, when you were dunked into that water and then you came out immersed out of that water, drenching wet. And he says, what that baptism symbolized when you went into that water was like your burial, the putting to death of your old self that was once controlled and mastered by sin. And when you came out of that water, what that represented in your life was the work of God to give you nothing less than an entirely new nature, a new self that has now been set free from the bondage of that sin that once enslaved you. Meaning, you are not only forgiven by God, but you are transformed by him to become an entirely new person so that the the lordship of sin will no longer have dominion over you. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that sin can no longer dominate your life like it once did if you truly are saved. Not only do we have the guilt of our sin removed, but this is such a mystery. He says we are united with Christ, and when Christ was buried in the grave, there is this mystical sense in which we became united with him, and so we died with him in that moment. And then when he resurrected, we also arose with him into a new life. That is why Christians would never use grace as an excuse to sin more. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son to the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul is saying that there is now a new power that is work in your life through the work of the Holy Spirit so that sin can no longer have the control over you that it once did. I experienced this powerfully in my life when through much of my life, kind of growing up in this immigrant experience, moving from Korea to America when I was five years old, totally uh, experiencing that sense of poverty and, and having very little, and then eventually, as my father finishes medical training, experiencing tremendous wealth. And out of that just built in me such an immense need for financial security and a longing to make wealth when I grew up. And yet, when I encountered Christ, I don't know how to explain it, that part of me was, it was just so strong. You have no idea how much that need for security and money had a grip of my heart, even as a young boy. And yet somehow, when I encountered the gospel, when I met Jesus, it was as if that thing that I was clutching with white knuckles, I just released. It didn't even feel like there was a battle there. It was like, there is something so much greater to live for than financial wealth. And it just felt like a huge weight had been taken off my shoulders. And that was a work of God that he did in my life. And I think many of you could testify 
to similar stories of the bondage that had been broken in your life when you met Jesus, of the sin that once enslaved you and yet from which you have been set free. C.S. Lewis describes it like this. Imagine yourself as a living, as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. What a beautiful picture of the work that God does in our life when he saves us. It's as if he goes from room to room, remodeling this little cottage that we have. And building it up into, as Lewis describes, a palace that is fit for a king where he can dwell. It's interesting. Up to this moment, Paul has not given us, uh, all the way up into about verse 10, Paul does not give us a single commandment. Almost every verb is in the passive voice. You were buried, verse 4. We are united with him in death and resurrection, verse 5. Our old self was crucified, verse 6. You have been set free from sin, verse 7. It's talking everything about what God has fundamentally done in us. I think that is why baptism is fundamentally a passive ceremony. Jesus doesn't command us, when you get saved, go dunk yourself in a body of water. And when you come out, you're a new person. He could have. I mean, if what's important is the symbolism of the water, of immersion and then coming out, why not baptize yourself? But it's interesting that even the command to be baptized is in the passive, isn't it? It says, you be baptized. Let somebody baptize you. And so in a moment, these four people are going to stand in this hot tub, this lukewarm tub as Pastor Peter calls it, and I gave them instructions right before the service. Don't fight me. (laughs) Don't try to baptize yourself. I said, it's like a trust fall. Just relax and let the water take over, okay? It's, it's, it's like that. That's the act of baptism. Just being brought into the water and coming out as a symbol that it's not about what you have done so much as about what God has done in you. So receive the baptism as a symbol of what God has done for you. But then you get to verse 11, and you get the first command. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So you also, and now here's the command, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is saying is is this. Although it's true that in our old self, that self was put to death and we are given a new self through new birth in Jesus when we become a Christian, it doesn't mean that our struggle with sin is completely over. There are lingering remnants of that control of sin that was once in our life, these ingrained habits of the body 
these ingrained patterns of thinking that still have an influence on us even after we become Christians. And that was true of my life too, even as I testified about that fundamental setting free that the bondage of money had over me. Truth is, that battle with wealth has not ended just because I became a Christian. In so many subtle and sneaky ways, those sins try to reinsert themselves into our lives. Probably one of the greatest battles with it was the the moments before we were supposed to head off to the mission field as missionaries and seeing these children that I now had and thinking, how am I going to pay for their colleges, you know, as a missionary? And how am I going to support a family of seven overseas as a missionary? And all of those old fears before I became a Christian came chasing back in my heart and saying, you can't go to Africa. You can't do this crazy. That's insane. I mean, you're a doctor. You can make a lot of money here in America. Isn't that responsible for you as a father to take care of your children? What are you thinking going to Africa and giving all that up? It was a real battle. I just shared it a couple messages ago, 2009, when we came back here to America after five years in Africa. And that slow way in which money has reinserted itself in my life, like claws digging back into me. And how this last summer and even into this summer, I'm fighting that battle again of possessions and trying to purge some of these things that have taken a hold of my heart that I'm trying to be set free from. And that's what Paul is saying is the battle with sin is not done. It's a lifelong battle, something that you're going to keep struggling with. And so in light of that, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. That's an accounting word that literally means reckon. It means take stock of, do an audit of what God has done for you, that fundamental power he has put alive in you, and in light of that, keep fighting the good fight against sin. Because you have a power at, in, within you through the work of the Holy Spirit that you didn't have before, through which you can find the victory over the sin that keeps trying to come back into your life. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24 says, You are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I shared this illustration a while back, and I kind of feel like it's very fitting in this context, but, you know, I... I had done quite a few short-term mission trips to Africa before I'd gone long-term with our family. And so during one of these short-term trips, uh, I was in Ethiopia, and it was one of these moments where I just didn't have an opportunity to shower. And so I went days without shower. I was stinking. I, I, I was tracking through mud, and I, I didn't even have a, to change my clothes for days. I, it, it's just Nothing is worse than when the wind blows and you can smell your hair. You know, that's, there's something so, like, nauseating about that smell. And I was driving up country with this missionary, and uh, I wasn't with the team, so I got separated from the team for a little bit. And as I, this missionary was driving me to this destination, he said, oh, we're by my house. I have to pick up something. Let's go by there. And so we stopped at his house. And while we were stopping, he was doing a few errands. He, he said, uh, you know, if you want, you know, maybe he smelled me too, I don't know. But he said, if you want, you can take a shower in my house before we hit the road again. 
And that seemed like an, an invitation from heaven. And I said, yes. And so I went in his bathroom, and I took the most amazing shower of my life. He even had hot water. You know, it's rare out there. And I, I just felt so clean. All that dirt and grime came off. And then I came to the realization that I didn't bring a change of clothes. And I had to put on that disgusting underwear again. <laughs> and these socks that smelled like rotting Doritos, you know, <laughs> and were caked with mud. I cannot describe to you how horrible a feeling that is to put those socks on, <laughs> clean feet. But in a way, that's what Paul is saying, is you have been given an entirely new nature. You are a new creation. How can you put on those old garments again of sin that once marked your old life? This is not who you are anymore. You are a new creation. Dallas Willard says spiritual formation is like conquering the promised land. There were some great demonstrations of God's power, like the falling of the walls of Jericho. But there was a long, ongoing war with hand-to-hand combat that had to be fought. We need patience and perseverance in this process of change. And so as I conclude here, our baptism stands as a constant reminder of the truth that our old self has been put to death and we are new creations in Christ. This is the testimony of each person that will be baptized before our witness this day is the work that Christ has done in our life. Paul says one other interesting thing about baptism. In verse 5, he said, For if you have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. But interestingly, this union with Christ has another implication in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink in one spirit. Why do we go through this huge work to set up this pool in a sanctuary? It would be so much easier to do baptisms in people's houses, right? Because you all have showers. You all have bathtubs. I can just do house visits and say, do you believe in Jesus? All right, get in the shower. I'll turn it on for a few minutes. Turn it off. Let your family gather if you want, and then we can baptize you. Why do we do it publicly? Part of the message of baptism is when we are baptized in Christ, the message we are baptized into his body, which is the church. And so that's why baptism is a church family event. Is not only are they representing symbolically what God has done in my life and the salvation I received, but it says in God saving me, he has brought me into a new family, into the body of Christ, of which now I am a member of which I belong. That's why all of us are here to witness this, this day, is to celebrate with them and to say, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. Because of your baptism, because you are saved in Christ, we are now one. We are together as a family. Let's pray. Father, what can we say but thank you to this amazing grace that you give to us through your son, Jesus Christ. What an amazing truth that because of our faith in Christ, we become united with him in this mysterious and awesome way. And through that union, 
we are dead to sin and alive to you. You are making us to be new creations in Jesus so that sin will no longer reign over us and the law no longer condemns us because we are under grace. And what an amazing grace that is. We celebrate this grace this day. We testify to it this day. We glory in it this day because it is all for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, this is, uh, this is what we've all been waiting for. Uh, this time I want to invite the third and fourth graders who are waiting in the back there. Come on up. If you could just find a seat here to my right. Uh, we're inviting them here. So the kindergartners, first and second graders, are actually watching this from a live feed in the children's chapel right now. And, you know, as a staff, we didn't want to restrict this service to just the adults. We, we really wanted to invite the children to witness what's happening here today. Uh, because, you know, as Pastor Steve already mentioned, baptism is probably the most powerful outward picture of a most profound inward reality in the life of a believer. We've been brought from death to life. And we are made new in Christ. And the reason why we're not up here just sprinkling water um, the reason why we filled 500 gallons of water into this tub is because nothing portrays that picture, I think, better than being submerged underwater from death to life. And so this is the way they did it in the early church, and I believe God in his great wisdom instituted this practice to reveal to the world this incredible truth that we share in our Savior's death and resurrection, one witness at a time. So parents, please uh, take the time to explain to your children today what, what is happening if they don't understand uh, I think um, it's very important for them to understand just the truth and the beauty and the reality of what's happening here, okay? Uh, one of the great privileges of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that we get to see God's story unfolding within our very own story. And when we commit ourselves to following him, and we get to tell that story to build our faith and to build the faith of others to the glory of God. And so we're going to do that now. We're going to hear the testimonies of God's saving grace uh, from four people today, we have two males and two females, and I think one of the first things you'll notice is this is a very diverse group. We have both a young mother and a more seasoned mother. We have a newly married young man and a graduating high school senior. So we have uh, some who have grown up in the church. We have some who have not. Every story is uniquely different, but every story is, is the same in one aspect, that God is the one who's pursued each of them, that God is the one who's drawn them to himself, God is the one who has opened their eyes and their hearts to his love. And so I had the privilege of walking these folks through the baptism class a couple weeks ago and heard their testimonies. And I'm really excited to have them share with you now how God has done a saving work in their lives. You guys ready? You guys ready? <laughs> it's 80 degrees in the tub. Okay. It's going to feel really good. This is just like the Jordan River in July. Okay. <laughs> So I want to first invite Andrew Cho to this stage to share his testimony and then be baptized. Please join me. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, for those of you that, that don't know me, my name is Andy. I've been coming to ICC uh, for about two years now. Uh, I've actually uh, been on stage uh, last August with my wife, Karen. Uh, we had the privilege and honor of uh, being married in this church. Uh, to give you a little bit of background about myself, uh, I grew up close by uh, in Skokie, and church was not a part of my life. 
Uh, I did go to church for a few years growing up uh, in junior high uh, with my best friend just because I just wanted to hang out. Um, the memories I have of church were just about uh, us hanging out after service, and I actually don't recall any sermons um, back then. Um, so then junior year of high school, uh, my father became terminally ill, um, and there were many um, family, friends, and believers that came to um, pray and um, for my father and my family. Um, <clears throat> so while they were at their, our, our house, they took uh, my older brother and me aside and talked to us about God, knowing that we didn't go to church. Uh, but their messages were um, entirely focused on fear and not the love of God. Um, the way they pushed the messages on us um, repelled me away from him during... <clears throat> the rest of my time in high school. Um, and because of my prideful nature, I was very dismissive and thought I didn't need God's love in my life. Um, so then I went off to college at UIC, and a few of my new friends there were uh, believers. Um, while getting to know them better, um, I could just tell their lives were filled with love and joy, and um, they didn't drink alcohol like most of my other friends. Uh, I came to... Um, know them better, and um, found out that they uh, were living life to follow God, not because they to uh, were told to, but because they chose to. Uh, their choice to go against the grain of society and be a light in this world had a profound impact on me, and I wanted to learn more. Uh, so that summer when my best friend from junior high came back home from college, I accepted his invitation to go to church with him. It was uh, to hang out just like the old days. But this time, my heart was open to hearing the word. Uh, that sermon that first Sunday really spoke to me, and I couldn't wait to hear more. Uh, I began to read Bible on my own and went to church every week, uh, even when my friend couldn't go. Uh, I can't say I have a defining moment, but that summer is when God became real to me, and I started to have a personal relationship with him. My once prideful nature started to break down as I began to humble myself before God. I realized I was, in, I was a sinner and in need of God's grace. If my life was a movie, uh, the credits would have started rolling there with a happy ending. Uh, but as we all know, life isn't quite that easy. Uh, and there have been seasons of my life since where I've strayed from God. Uh, but God always pursues me during those times and is always waiting there for me with open arms. Um, the Holy Spirit has been tugging on my heart for quite a while to be baptized, uh, but I've always been hesitant because honestly I, I just hate public public speaking and uh, I try to stay out of the limelight uh, but here I am trusting and listening to God and making a public confession of how he has worked in my heart. Thank you. Warmish. <laughs> um, Xander shared he got married at our church. It's been uh, great to get to know him through that premarital counseling with him and Karen. Um, we do these personality tests as part of the premarital counseling. 
And it turns out he and I are almost identical personality types. And so I feel this kindred spirit with that, him. But more so than matching on the Myers-Briggs is the fact that he's a, a brother of Christ with us together and with, with me. And so it's an awesome moment to be able to baptize him this day. Next, I want to introduce Maria Armeyad up on the stage to share her testimony. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> Before I came to know the Lord, my priorities are in life are all about work and family, of course. I just go to church once in a while or, or if there's special occasions. What, why I don't know, really know and understand who God is, what I know is that God is the only way for me to not go to hell. And trying to be good is my goal to reach heaven. Then one day, my brother-in-law invited me to their church last November 2010 and shared to me their gospel. But I did not grow under church. And then uh, the year of 2014, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. I stayed in the hospital for a year doing chemo and then 25 straight days of radiation. Hoping with all that I get better. But then I was um, diagnosed with kidney failure. In 2015, I was also diagnosed with seizure. And during that time, I heard about this um, assisted suicide some, through some state. And not knowing too much about God, I actually considered moving to one of those states to get some assisted suicide. During the time, I was asking God if I'm a bad person because I felt like he's punishing me. You know, not just all the illnesses, 
He also challenged my personal life. I felt depressed and abandoned by my parents are there to help me. Then I met Ate Jackie in dialysis center and she introduced me to community, to Emmanuel Community Church and connected me to community group led by Kuya Roderick and Ate Nessie. From then on, God reminded me of his love and how faithful he is. He is, he opened my eyes and with new hopes, I can recommit my life to Jesus. I really thank God for I am in remission now. Since last year, 2017, His guidance and strength then day by day, and I thank my parents, my son, and to all my sisters and brother in the Lord, in our community group, for not giving me up and not, and I'm not alone. Glory, glory to God. Do return. Oh, Deuteronomy 31.6 is what I'm holding on and on every day. Be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. That's all I have. Thank you. From the little bit that you heard from Maria's uh, testimony, you know she has not had an easy life. And I think if you know the full story, you can understand how much brokenness and how much struggle has, uh, she's gone through. And yet somehow in that darkness was this light of Jesus Christ shining to rescue her and save her. And that's the beauty is God restores and redeems that which is broken, that which is lost. Still remember Maria a couple of years ago when she first came to ICC, how uh, deathly ill she looked, and just to see even the amount of recovery that she's had is quite a testimony of God's faithfulness in her life. And uh, let's just continue to pray for her and this cancer diagnosis and everything else that's going on in her life. That God would show Himself to be strong through each season of her life. Upon this confession of faith. Maria Armia, uh, faith in Jesus Christ, who you claim to be your Savior and Lord, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to invite graduating senior Josh Petuian up on the stage to share his testimony. Hello. 
So I've grown up in a Christian home with parents of faith, or, and going to ICC since its start. And in addition to this, my parents have also invested the extra money to send me to private Christian school for elementary. But despite all of this upbringing, I didn't think too much about God during my elementary years. With me thinking only during him during section off periods like Sundays or in prayer time like during meals. And my thinking wasn't very deep either with my prayer life being very legalistic to where it almost felt like a game. For example, I had this silly notion that I had to restart my prayers from the beginning whenever I accidentally opened my eyes. So, <laughs> but I remember generally coasting along my life all the way up to second grade where I felt as though my life was generally pretty good but later on, I encountered a period in my life from around third to fourth grade where I could have thought more about God and invited him into my life, but not once did I ever think to do so. Uh, my third to fourth grade experience is a very long, complex story of social anxiety, inferiority, conflicts, and misunderstandings. And if I had more time to share, I would dive deeper into these things. But what is important to know is that at this time, my mental state was really bad, which resulted in refusal to work in class or freezing up whenever I had to speak. And even though I didn't notice it, these characteristics also bled outside of school, with people in ICC noticing how much I really didn't talk to people outside of a select few. This was severe enough to where my parents had to pull me out of fourth grade to be homeschooled. It is from this fifth to eighth grade era where I started to take God seriously and accept him into my life. Being homeschooled was a double-edged sword because my parents parents were both working. I had to follow the curriculums myself in my mother's workplace. And this sounds like a good thing, but this did serve as a roadblock. And frankly, I was ill-prepared work ethic-wise and many of the times. I didn't know how to go about like schooling myself. And this combined with developing teenage hormones resulted in many arguments with my mother. And I know like a lot of, I guess, teenagers have, can relate to this, but these are like pretty bad to the point where I remember in a particular moment of like anger where I wanted to show God like just frustration with my living situation where I remember rebelliously chucking a couch pillow and knocking down the small cross by the sanctuary entrance by my mom's workplace. So don't follow that. But, but as I mentioned earlier with the double-edged sword, in the midst of the struggles during my homeschooling life, in a strange uh, sense, I've also been blessed in unexpected ways that have helped me meet and draw close to God. Which, something, which is something that I've lacked the years prior. Just one of these ways would have been the amount of free time I've had to, with the nature of my curriculum, in which I was able to develop a prayer life to actually meet with God, not in a legalistic manner, but being able to rely on him from my day-to-day -day actions. I also cemented my faith through reading certain Christian literature with a memorable book being Where Is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey. And it is around this period where I say I first really took God seriously and accepted Jesus as my personal savior. Over time, I felt subtle but significant changes to the way I lived. Like, arguments with my mom and family no longer felt better, and instead they felt uh, they were fruitful for both sides. And I started talking to people outside of ACC instead of shying away from them, and I didn't freeze up when I talked to people outside my comfort zone. But these are only scratches to the surface of what God has done in my life. Like, beyond middle school and into these past four years of high school, I've been through various trials, but God has considered to show up through them. And regardless of whether I succeed or fail in future trials, I know that God will be with me through it all. To end on a favorite verse of mine in Philippians 4.13, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Thank you.
because Josh is in our youth group, uh, we've invited our youth pastor, Chris Kim, to join in this baptism. <laughs> what an awesome testimony that Joshua has. Uh, some of you may not know it, but uh, I've known him since he was a little kid, uh, probably even an infant, uh, because we were at another church together, at Faith Alliance Church, before here at ICC. And uh, I, I don't think his testimony does justice to the transformation that he's experienced. It's, if you've been eyewitness to it, it's been really something awesome and amazing. And uh, even as he's been testifying, I just think about Warren and Lynette and their faithful years of prayer for him and how much... They even would come to, uh, Warren would come to our leaders' meetings and even just uh, be, you know, inviting us to pray and just so thankful for answered prayers, faithful prayers of parents who keep reaching out to their children, uh, to God on behalf of their children. And so this is an answered prayer as Joshua has just testified. Joshua Batuyan, upon your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay, last but not least, I want to introduce... Emmy Cove to the stage to give us the last testimony. Morning, everyone. Um, I grew up going to church and was considered a pretty good kid. I didn't cause a lot of trouble, worked hard at school, and listened to my parents for the most part. Um, in seventh grade, I responded to an invitation to accept Christ at a youth group retreat. I prayed the sinner's prayer and asked Jesus into my heart. At that time, I understood logically in my mind that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, but I didn't really see or understand the depth of my own sin. My life looked fine on the outside. I was going to church and involved in youth group. And I thought that as long as I wasn't outwardly doing anything really bad, that was good enough. What I didn't realize was that God was more interested in the state of my heart, and my heart was not okay. I was striving to find my identity and security in the wrong places, in people, things, appearances, and accomplishments, and not from God. It was in college that God graciously and patiently began to convict me of my sin by taking away things that I had placed my security in for the sake of showing me that I needed to find my identity in Him. For most of my life, my number one priority was to get good grades so that I could secure my future. Good grades would lead to admission into a good college, which would lead to a good job, which would lead to financial security. So I found my value and sense of security in my academic performance. In college, when I wasn't performing as well as I had in the past, I had a difficult time coping. I would be happy when I was doing well, but filled with anxiety and panicked about the future if I wasn't. Before college, I also never really thought about my sense of worth was built on the way I looked or what people thought of me. But God showed me that this was far from the truth. I gained more than the freshman 15 during my first couple years in college, and the feelings of insecurity that resulted from that opened my eyes to how much I placed my worth in the way that I looked. I also struggled with loneliness and rejection as a result of broken relationships. God showed me through the brokenness that I was trying to find value and worth in how others felt about me rather than on what God felt about me. Through this journey, God opened my eyes to the sin in my heart and asked me to let go of control in these areas and allow him to start leading me. 
And when I repented and finally submitted my life to him, I found freedom from the anxiety and fear I was experiencing. I no longer needed to try to keep I no longer needed to keep trying to control outcomes or strive to secure my future or figure things out in my own strength. My value didn't depend on my performance, appearance, or my relationships. I began to trust the promises that are in the Bible and turn to his word when I started to feel fear or insecurity creep back into my life. He showed me that he had a good plan for me and that in all things, good and bad, he was working for my good and his glory. One of my favorite verses was and is still Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of my life now, and I want my life to reflect that reality. Although I still struggle with temptation of putting so many things before God, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I have a choice now through the Holy Spirit to follow Christ's plan for my life rather than taking things into my own hands. He has also placed a desire in me to grow deeper in my relationships, relationship with Christ rather than just wanting to do the right thing. More recently, I feel like the Holy Spirit has been teaching me what it means to desire and seek not just God's blessings and promises, but simply his presence with me. I want to be baptized today out of obedience to Christ and to make a public profession of my faith in Christ. I think as most of you know, uh, Emmy and Alan have just recently come to our church. They haven't been with us very long, and yet it's uh, quite remarkable how much they've just dived right in and become such an integral part of our church family life. And so um, it's been great to get to know Emmy, not only as her pastor, but also uh, we're in the same small group together. And so as a fellow church member, and just as a friend on a more personal level, and just to see her gentle and uh, loving and thoughtful spirit that she brings, and what... Um, is just what I see as the fruit and testimony of an awesome work of God in her life. And so it's just so awesome to welcome her into this ICC family and to celebrate her baptism this day. Uh, Emmy Ko, uh, upon your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 